welcome to where the furniture isn't always the best, but the views, they are amazing. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the 13th floor where the furniture isn't always the best, but the views, they are amazing. I am your host this week, Coach K, and uh, we missed y'all last week. We, we took a, a mental health break. Uh, I'm sure many of you out there understand with all of the things going on in the world, sometimes you just need to take that break. And plus, we wanted you guys to miss us uh, for sure. So hopefully you've been catching clips and uh, some of our lives that we've done. And uh, we appreciate those of you that have interacted with us uh, during that time. We got a special show today. We'll talk about a couple things and we got a special guest. Uh, but before that, uh, fellas, we've got three of our regulars, except for, you know, Fresh isn't here today. Uh, Fresh, Fresh is feeling kind of stale, um, so, so he's not here. <laughs> <laughs> I agree, Carol. You agree? You agree? I, dis- I disagree. <laughs> you disagree? I you disagree? <laughs> yeah, fr- fresh a little under the weather, so we'll, we'll say he was stale, and we'll wait for him to come back. But our regulars are here. But today uh, we got a special treat. Um, you know how we do. This is the podcast where we are the true example of the successful black male. And when we say successful, we mean in many different lanes, uh, whether that be education, profession, uh, at home, relationship. And because I say successful doesn't mean that we've perfected it, but we definitely try to uh, sharpen each other and get ourselves there. Uh, today, we have another one of our fellow alumni yes, sir. in the house. Uh, he is the managing attorney at Lomax Legal. Uh, he started out in the Civil Rights Division of the United States Justice Department. Uh, after that, uh, he or actually during that time, he actually made a successful career out of, you know, there are a lot of people that are familiar with Johnny Cochran and other people like that, but uh, he made uh, his uh, foundation in uh, prosecuting officers that had violated people's constitutional rights. Uh, After doing that for a while, he then went on to a clerkship with Chief Justice Carl E. Stewart of the U.S. Court of Appeals Fifth Circuit. After that, he went on to a successful uh, appearance with the Jones Day law firm where he handled complex civil litigation for Fortune 500 companies. And then, and after that, my man decided he wanted to become an adjunct professor at the alma mater where he's undergrad and law school at University of Miami School of Law. And then uh, when he has free time, somehow, you know, Again, married man with kids, but somehow he finds free time to teach uh, as a faculty for Harvard Law School's trial advocacy workshop. Uh, and now, which funny, it's not in his bio, but I guess since I got it off of the website, uh, he has his own practice in the Coral Gables area. Uh, so, ladies and gentlemen, I'd like to introduce you to Mr. Chris Lomax, Esquire. Thank you, sir. Thank you, sir. Um, I will send the check in the mail for that very exaggerated and flowery introduction. Uh, half of that stuff is true, so I'll take credit, uh, but I appreciate you, sir. Maybe I'll do cash out. 
more cash app. I, I have I have all of them. Cash app, Venmo, uh, whichever you want. Okay. If you want to go old school, PayPal. Um, <laughs> and 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 just well, because gotta, I'm gonna spread it out over different different apps because I got to check go. out balance. You know? No, not right. over hundred. <laughs> there, there you go. There you go. There you go. I like it. I like it. If if you want, I, I'll even accept Bitcoin. Um, <laughs> Uh, something not in his bio, but I'll say it just because there, there are just so many Greeks on this show. Uh, he is also uh, a, a a man of Alpha Phi Alpha, Eta Delta chapter. Did I get that right? Eta Delta, right? You yes, sure did. Okay, good, good, good. I you told know, him bloody. Got to be careful. You know, I, uh, you know, not associated with such things, but yes. So, Chris, welcome to the show, man. Glad to have you. Thank you, sir. Glad, glad that you could... Uh, you know, get this time after the kids have gone to bed to come join us. No doubt. I appreciate it, man. It's uh, it's good to see all you guys um, who I looked up to when I was in school, who I was, you know, at the rock with, sitting on the patio with, uh, you know, just able to watch and, and sort of understand what it was to be a black man on that campus from the very beginning. I think, you know, Carol, I think you might've been like the president of UBS, like my freshman year, BJ's president, everybody, Art was super visible on campus. And then my man Brett came up after. So we got the the full circle here. So I'm just glad to be a part of it. Happy to be here with you guys tonight. Yeah, man, we we appreciate that. Um, ladies and gentlemen, pay no attention to the fact that he didn't say he was in class with any, any of us. Uh, don't worry about that part. <laughs> <laughs> we we were hanging out. Just, uh, you know, we understood. Everybody understands. We go to class. It's the other stuff they don't know about. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. The other stuff that we're gonna go with that. We're gonna go with that one. We're gonna yeah, go with that. Yep, yeah, yep. Yeah. <laughs> Listen, the other stuff I've always said is what really prepared us for the for the world. It is. Um, but Absolutely. we're not gonna get into that. That's a different podcast. <laughs> Today, ladies and gentlemen, though, we are gonna talk about a couple things and. One thing has gone under the radar and disappeared. Um, and it almost makes you wonder, have some things happened to kind of make you forget about that. But let's not forget about the Supreme Court and the potential of reversing uh, Roe Wade, uh, which Chris can 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 give us a little bit more education on. But what we really want to understand today is, if such a thing were to happen, what would be the ripple effect of Roe v. Wade? Um, so, Chris, I guess, you know, let's just start, man. Roe v. Wade, from a historical standpoint, what, why is it such a, a, a prominent point in history? Sure. So uh, I believe it was 1973, the Supreme Court issued an opinion in Roe v. Wade, essentially saying that a woman's right to choose uh, to terminate pregnancy was a constitutional right, such that the federal government could issue a mandate that would control the way the law was applied to any person in the United States of America. Um, and the reason why that's important is because the states have to respect the rulings of the United States Supreme Court and whatever you know, the local state legislature might believe or the local courts might believe if the United States Supreme Court has said a certain thing is a right, then it has to be respected and no laws can be issued or promulgated that would be in derogation or contradictory to what the law of the land is according to the United States Supreme Court. 
So since that point, Roe v. Wade, 1973, it has been the law of the land that a woman has the right to choose to either terminate pregnancy or not up to a certain point in that pregnancy. It's never been the case that you could terminate pregnancy just for, you know, in infinity number of weeks or whatever it may be. There's a cutoff point. Um, but Roe v. Wade says that, you know, basically um, pre-viability, you can terminate pregnancy. Viability meaning that a child is able to survive outside the mother's body, right? So up into the viability, you can terminate pregnancy. What we have now in this case is called Dobbs versus Jackson's Women's Health Organization is a challenge to the state of Mississippi's efforts to regulate uh, termination of pregnancy such that it would be unlawful to terminate pregnancy at a certain point. And that law was challenged under the precedent of Roe v. Wade and the Supreme Court um, Justice Alito drafted an opinion that was leaked, essentially saying that Roe v. Wade was wrongly decided and reversing Roe v. Wade and not saying that uh, abortion is illegal it's not saying that at all. What it's saying is that the federal government does not have the power to tell the states how to regulate abortion, okay? And so this case, Dobbs, is based upon a, a Mississippi law. So essentially the law in Mississippi would prevail in that terminating a pregnancy, I think earlier than a certain point would be unlawful and it, and it cannot happen there. So that's the fundamental sort of premise behind this decision. And if it were to be issued in the way that appears to be issued, it would be completely up to all 50 states to decide how to um, regulate termination of pregnancy. A question. Um, so with Roe v. Wade, um, when that was decided, uh, women's had a protection under uh, const were constitutionally protected. Under which amendment was that protection afforded? It was under the 14th Amendment. And um, I guess the way that that works is the 14th Amendment provides certain rights through um, its explanation that life and liberty cannot be restricted without due process of law. And so this falls under the category of liberty. So read into the Constitution through Roe v. Wade is the concept that a woman's right to choose is a constitutional liberty that has to be respected. What the court is saying in this new case, Dobbs, is that a basic and fundamental reading of the, of the Constitution would not indicate that the right to choose is a constitutional right. There's no mention of the term abortion in the Constitution. So the more conservative justices, the more fundamentalist justices would say, we need to read the constitution only for what it says and not add anything to it. And this opinion, which is about 90 pages long, painstakingly goes through the history of the United States and shows that abortion isn't something that was considered to be a right or even respected as something as a, a, a good practice in the United States prior to 1973 when Roe v. Wade was decided. So the way that Justice Alito sees it is, hey, look, you're trying to tell us that abortion is a right that's under the Constitution, but you have no historical framework or historical references that support what you're saying. His belief is that this was a 
um, an ideological decision by the, the court at the time to impose a either political or um, uh, you know moral or a certain sort of belief system onto the rest of the country that's actually not rooted in the laws and the history and tradition of the United States of America, or even going as far back as to the common law, which is in England. But there's so many things. So they're going to challenge the Constitution and read it as it was written. When it was written, there are so many things that don't apply that are active now to go back. So why, like, why would they choose? Well, we're going to go with the word abortion, for instance, is not in here. But there are so many other things that laws have been written around or for or adjust to that are not tied to the Constitution or in the amendments um, that still hold strong and without and can never be challenged. It's just it's just funny that we. Um, in the United States are focusing so much on the abortion aspect without the women who had never had any part of the constitution at all, never had any mindset for it, is now the challenge that, well, it wasn't in there from the beginning. Of course it wasn't, because when they wrote that, women didn't have any rights at all. They didn't have anything. So why would they even think about having that as an option? Um, it just, just tickles me to think about that thing and how that works, just that they, they're still holding that strong um, currently. So. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's problematic in so many different ways because, you know, this originalist theory would have you uh, recognize Native Americans as not human beings. Right. It would have you recognize African-Americans as three-fifths of a man. Mm-hmm. It would have you not recognize women as people who have the right to vote or to own property or even have a say-so in terms of who they live with or what they can do or, or otherwise. And so... There are, you know, two, if, we, if we're broad and we generalize, there are two schools of thought about the Constitution. Um, you have the originalist conservative view that says the Constitution is to be read as it was written and as it was originally intended. And then there's this other uh, school of thought, I'm sure you heard, that the Constitution is a living and breathing document, meaning that it evolves with the times, right? At the time the Constitution was written, people were using horses and buggies. Well, now people drive cars that can drive themselves and don't even need a man to operate them. People fly planes, people travel to the moon, people travel to Mars. And so the question becomes, does it make sense for us to have this originalist interpretation of the constitution that ignores the evolution of human life, that ignores the evolution of progressive thought that has brought women into different spaces, that have brought people of color into different spaces? Um, Or do we just revert back to what these sort of um, very similar colored, similar background, similar gender people decided was going to be the fundamental document governing our nation. That's the question. And that's white, what this white court case framework. is really all about. Is go back to the white supremacy framework and the, and the fundamentalist of how it was written and what it was, who it was structured for. Like, and this, and this whole topic is, uh, I, I think you just hit on it. Like, if overturned, what is that setting a precedent for, for yeah. other groups to, to be challenged? Again, you go back to African American being seen as three-fifths of human, like that's the original wording, like that's the original construct, right? Native Americans, um, well, the last the last piece said about Native Americans, like not even yeah, not even being recognized, period. They even recognized, yeah. 
they're not recognized at all. I mean, in in, this, in terms of being a fully recognized citizen of the United States, and this is their crazy. land, right? You're right. This is crazy. They, they were here first. <laughs> yeah. So I, again, the, the whole thing is not about a moral right or wrong. It really is about what is what the what are the implications? Like, if something like this were to overturn, like be overturned, like what does that do for society? And the citizens of this country that who have fought for so long to get where we're at, still fighting. Mm-hmm. You know, we'll get to in a minute, few minutes. Still fighting, to even go out on a daily basis, go to your local grocery store without being murdered. That's a different story. Yeah, it is. So, for a minute there, I didn't know if y'all were talking about the Constitution, if y'all were talking about the Bible, but um, <laughs> uh, yeah. So. Thank you for taking us down that road. And, and, and you brought us to exactly the point that BJ just talked about. So if such a thing were to be passed, what now are the expectations or the ripple effect of this precedent that has been set? Right. So what is going to happen is um, other groups who want to be retrogressive in their thinking and thought process will grab hold of this and say, well, the Supreme Court has said if this concept or this idea wasn't recognized in the Constitution, then the states should be able to decide. So we're going to get back to the world of states' rights. And the time when states' rights was probably um, at its height in terms of controversy was in the 1850s, 1860s, when there was a movement away from chattel slavery, right? So the Civil War was all about recognizing states' rights. You have Abraham Lincoln, who's trying to create this more perfect union and saying, hey, guys, we're going to try to do things, you know, the same way across the board in the United States. And then you have the Confederacy saying, hey, look, I don't need you New Yorkers, you Yankees telling me how to deal with my cotton and how I pick it down here in Georgia. I don't need you telling me how to deal with my sugar cane in Louisiana. I don't need you telling me how to deal with my corn and, and my tobacco in North Carolina and South Carolina. You deal with what you deal with up north. We'll do it how we do it down here, right? And so if you look at you know where uh, some of us live, at least me and BJ in Florida, um, right now, we have a very strong states rights movement by the governor of Florida, mm-hmm. who wants to basically have his own fiefdom, his own kingdom. And that viewpoint is very prevalent among many people. I would say, you know, maybe a, plura- a plurality of, of people in the country who would rather be governed um, in their own way, in their own state, a more localized way of living. So that if you decide we're going to actually, in the state of Florida, say, you know, we're not going to say the word gay in school or in the state of Florida, we're not gonna recognize uh, transgender persons by the gender that they have you know, decided that they're gonna live out. Um, we're not, we don't want the federal government intruding on our ability to decide how we live our lives. So the state's rights activists, the state's rights sort of um, supporters are gonna latch onto this opinion and use it to get, get whatever it is they wanna get. Now, I will have to tell you this. When I read the opinion, there is a line in there, at least in the draft that says, we do not intend this opi- for this opinion to have an impact on anything other than abortion rights. So the Supreme Court, for what it's worth, seems to be trying to 
plant a, a you know a flag in the in the sand and say, hey, look, guys, we're not doing this so that y'all can go run roughshod um, mm. across this idea of a you know a more perfect union and just every state becomes its own kingdom. Um, but what we are saying is that this specific right that you created through Roe v. Wade is not recognized by the Constitution. You know, if you find some other rights like that, then you're welcome to bring that to us. But this is not to say that everything that doesn't specifically say the word in the Constitution is no longer a right. But we know that the impact of it is that somebody's going to bring something else and say, hey, look, we think that, you know, lynching people, that's not in the Constitution. So that should be left up to the states. We shouldn't have anti-lynching federal laws. That should be left up to the states. Things along those lines. So that's where the dangerous part of this opinion uh, really is. Mm. So, and it's very funny, right? So when I looked up the statistics on abortion, um, there are probably about 23 states that don't separate out abortion by race like they don't even track that they don't disclose that uh those 23 states all happen to be northern states Mm -hmm. the states that are tracking it are southern states which is very interesting in itself that okay not tracked in the north tracked in the south for the most part uh in 2019 that was most recent data that i found um between black white and hispanic uh, black by far led 38% uh, abortion rates. Uh, white wasn't that closest at 33% and Hispanic at 21%. Mm. Uh, yes, there is another, um, you know, reporting platform that, you know, does it per, per thousand women uh, and black women still lead there as well, followed by white, then Hispanic. So um, there's something there for sure, um, as far as when you break it down by demographic. But then again, that's just mostly Southern states reporting out um, by race. So those numbers could be drastically different if you included the Northern part of the country. My question is, since we know that Southern states are the ones that are really tracking what does that now look like in the black population as far as the right? And how does that not play out? Now that may not necessarily be something that Chris can answer. Anybody can answer that. Anybody jump in, but that's the part that I'm wondering now. And you think about a lot of places that are in, what are the, are these midterm elections? There are mm-hmm. a lot of places that have elections right now. Um, what should people be thinking about as they're going to the polls and is it too late to influence what may happen in the future as far as the Supreme court decision? Well, you can make the, the changes. So with the midterms, you've changed gubernatorial uh, changes. So you show that, that like, like Georgia went purple and, you know, and Kemp right now is, is in a battle for his life or out here because um, Purdue is, is throwing out all kinds of nasty shade and trying to get, you know, he has the backing of, um, of the Trump team. So with that behind him, it makes him change, but Stacy's by herself. So 
you got two guys fighting for the same ship and one person just riding and taking it with them. Um, so we'll see where it goes, but there can be which, a chance. So. Which is funny. You barely hear anything about Stacey Abrams is running for governor. Right, right. Because about here in Florida, I'll tell you that much. It's not time yet here. It's, it's still too early. She wants to let Kemp and, and him battle out and put out all their dirty garbage. And then when time comes, she'll go for it from there. So I, I think she's playing the game because last time she was really early and she had her name out there way too much and it came and bit her on the butt in the back end. So she knows now that it play out and then we'll go from there. I've heard about mm-hmm. it at least three or four times in the last week, week and a half here. <laughs> like, and, and then, and, but I go back to who's, who's running the state right now in Florida. And a lot of it was from his stance of saying that if Stacey Abrams was elected governor in Georgia, how basically Florida and Georgia would no longer, basically he was the separate from Georgia and had no, no, no. They wouldn't have a relationship? No, no relationship, no support, no. I, I that would mean support is the wrong word. Um, Chris, I don't know if you heard about it either, but I, it was on a thing that he, he made it, he, I gotta find it. I'm gonna find the, the quote. Give me a minute. I'm gonna go find it real quick. Okay. Okay. So, I'm trying to think of like, just from, if you think about funding for nonprofit organizations, if you think about um, already we got healthcare disparities, what does this now have, what now happens if this was to pass and now people can't get an abortion legally in many Southern states? When you look at the states that that would flip and say, hey, you can't do this. What now happens? I think you're going to have a huge um, tourist abortion market. So there's going to be abortion tourism, right? Where people are traveling to the states where abortion is legal in other countries. Mm -hmm. Um, I can tell you through my work, I get a lot of calls from women in New York and New Jersey California, Chicago, who come to Miami to have plastic surgery and it gets boxed. And they go back to where they're from and they don't know what to do. So they're looking for lawyers to try to help them out because there's huge plastic surgery tourism in Miami because on every other block, there's some sort of med spa, plastic surgery, Brazilian butt lift, you know, everything you, you can imagine. So we already have examples of women traveling for cosmetic purposes. Um, mm-hmm. I can't imagine they wouldn't travel for this purpose as well. And people are going to capitalize on it because at the end of the day, a lot of these things are about principles and a lot of these are about morals and ethics, but a lot of times they're also about money and control. Somebody's going to look to capitalize on all of this. And usually that means somebody's going to get taken advantage of. Exorbitant prices will be charged because people will be desperate. Yep. Loans will be given and charged at usurious um, interest rates. Um, to, there will be unfair financing that happens. Um, there will be unqualified people performing these things because yep. they're not regulated properly. Right there. So the externalities that I think that you're intimating, uh, Carol, are, are serious. And, and, they, and they, we have to be concerned about them because this is really about health. This is about healthcare and access to healthcare more than anything else, because an abortion is a healthcare procedure. Whether you agree with it or not, you can't disagree with the fact that it's a healthcare procedure. 
whether done electively or because of a medical emergency. And so we, we shouldn't limit our analysis and our viewpoint to the issue of morality, to the issue of constitutional um, correctness. We gotta look at this from a people standpoint, from a human standpoint. You know, these women are often faced with a Hobson's choice, you know? Like, I'm sure like many of you, I've spoken to friends and relatives who've had to have abortions for a variety of reasons. And it can be a very tortuous kind of experience and one that they live with for the rest of their lives and struggle with. And so I don't, I don't think that the court really takes that kind of thing into consideration. And maybe it doesn't need to because that's not a job of the court. But I think we as voters and what they're basically saying is the Supreme Court is saying, we're leaving this to you, the people, the voters to decide. You can decide how to uh, create laws in your own states that suit your needs. And if that's where we're going with this Dobbs decision, then we need to be prepared and informed about how we're going to impact the legislature and the laws are gonna be passed in the various states that we live in. That's the yes. part that I'm um, right. a little more concerned about because it's the South. It is the South as Carol pointed out, but it's also the middle of the country. And I think there's a couple of things at play with this decision. Um, I read through a good portion of Alito's um, draft decision, and I think it's very, I think it's well written. And I think what they're trying to accomplish makes sense. But as you stated, Chris, I don't think that they're taking into consideration the human factor and the unintentional consequences. So as you point out, we put this, this onus on the people to you know, create some sort of change or legislate themselves. But unfortunately, the country is split damn near 50-50. We saw it in the last election. Yeah. So you're going to have half of the country that says, okay, we're going to set a viability at 6, 12, 16 weeks, whatever. And then the other half of the country say, nope, can't do it at all, right? And so then you put these women um, who all come from various backgrounds, some who can afford the abortion or can afford to travel, others that are in lesser socioeconomic status that can't. Um, so then you put them in a precarious situation where it's okay, either I have this child and I can't take care of it, or I go and find an abortion that I can afford and unfortunate circumstances kind of take, take place. And I think that's, um, Unfortunately, I think that's a part of an agenda, but I also look at it from this, the, the standpoint of population control, um, because I know in the most recent census, the statistics are starting, I feel like based on that information, the statistics are starting to change as far as the majorities and the minorities and things are starting to get a little tight on some of our Caucasian you know, folks. And so Carol already pointed out that with the states that keep the data on the abortions, that white women are number two. Um, I'm willing to bet that white women are number one when it comes to abortions, uh, once you add in that uh, Northern data, or it's a very, very close race. So if we can continue to have our babies Caucasians, and this is just my opinion. It's not the opinions of everybody on this oh, podcast and things. So let me put that out. This is my opinion. If we continue to have, you know, these white babies, we can push up, put ourselves in a better position population wise. 
um, if we can make it harder for the minorities um, to gain some sort of affluent status because they're either stuck having babies or they're stuck with healthcare issues because of botched surgeries, then it's, an, it's a power play. And we're back on top because I feel like a lot of what we're experiencing as Americans is a power struggle with those who are in power and us, uh, the minority, understanding the power that we can essentially, you know, wield. So I do feel like it's a, a lot bigger than what is, you know, kind of what we've been put out, what's been put out there. And I think it's it's unfortunate. I don't see it getting as far as a civil war, but some of the things that can, you know, that can fall on on the on this precedent that may be set, like gay marriage and other things, it just opens opens the door for it, and, and states get to essentially choose. And red states are going to make red state decisions, blue states are going to make blue state decisions, and the purple ones, you know, it's going to go either way. So um, I think essentially, you know, part of the conversation is what can what efforts can be made. Um, you know, to kind of put ourselves in a position uh, to, to be able to either take what comes or change, really change what comes. Like, what, what, where do we go from here? So I don't know if that was a question for, for, for Chris, but I, I want to throw in there really quickly. Um, what you said is interesting because mm -hmm. to this day, there are still more black people as far as population in these Southern states than there are the Northern states. So when you look at that and you say, okay, well, if white women can't get an abortion, that increases their population. Okay. Well, if black people can't get an abortion, that, that just continues the population. Right. So that's an interesting concept. And, and I don't know, the part that we don't know is insurance because a lot of insurances will cover abortion. It's upwards of as much as a thousand dollars plus with no insurance. So there's a play there for insurance now on what they do. And if you think about national corporations who negotiate their packages, and sometimes they make considerations for different states because different states have different things, but that's now something that's on the map because now you got to figure out, okay, what is our insurance coverage going to be? What's the cost going to be? And how do we divide that up as far as states that allow abortion and states that don't allow abortion? Mm -hmm. And do we come out with something blanket or is it now just that much more complex? So when we talk about the ripple effects, that's a part of it too. How do insurances, insurance companies now respond? So yeah, go ahead. I, mean, I, I think that there will be some activist um, insurance measures to support whatever the belief system is of the people in charge of the insurance companies, right? Um, buttressed by the effort to earn money. So if I'm an insurance carrier and I wanna attract the abortion having crowd, 
I might say, hey, look, if you have my policy, I pay for plane for tra- travel to another state. I pay for lodging and, you know, post-abortion care, right? And then I go shop my, my policies at colleges and universities, high schools, people where young people, places where young people work um, in large numbers, because then I can attract a certain demographic to my insurance that might be interested in that kind of coverage. You never know, mm-hmm. right? But then there, there is also a driver behind just supporting choice, right? Like there's certain companies that um, have insurance for gender reassignment surgery, right? And they'll become an attractive destination for people who are interested in that type of thing. So I think there will be activist measures on both sides. Like some insurance companies will cut any kind of abortion coverage because they deal with the lobbyists who are in favor of the sort of anti-abortion policy. And they want to be in the legislature um, in a favorable light, right? The insurance companies, they need, for example, good legislation on insurance to protect them from a lot of times lawyers who beat up on insurance companies. So they are lobbying constantly to make it more difficult to sue, to make it more difficult to get get big, huge judgments in numbers against insurance companies. So there's gonna be a lot of economic reactions to this decision Mm -hmm. that will have impact on the everyday people who have no idea that this is happening. They have no clue. So I think to your question, Brett, like where do we go from here? Like we gotta know what's going on. Like we have to be aware of what things are at play in these states if this is going to be left up to the states like who is sort of the who are who's pulling the levers to get things to happen a certain way and how do we either support them or get them out of office or bring to the light what they're doing so that it's on blast when the the elections come up but it's complicated i'm hearing more grassroots efforts more education and more voter registration same thing we've been saying for years in all other efforts, but more so now because of the possibility of the backward slide. Like it's 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 always been a priority. It, it should have always been a priority, but now it's almost life or death. It literally it, it is literally, yeah. literally. And before that, I found a thing that the statement was made. It was that if Stacey Abrams was elected, it would be a Florida Georgia Cold War. That was a statement that was made by DeSantis, I believe, a week ago. One reason why he's staying in power is because of the, the, the citizens that are down there in South Florida. Of course. But this is how things are politicized out here. And, mm-hmm. and the thing, again, I heard that, like, and it took me aback, like, wait, what? You're, first of all, you're equating Cold War with South Florida. It would, South Florida is part of that and thinking about right, what's like, that? a whole bunch of other stuff. Like, first yeah. of all, that was a bad move politically, in my opinion, to make that statement. But the thing, you're a state against state, you're saying because somebody else is a governor, a cold war, just because somebody of color is elected who has a strong outspoken opinion against yours. Well, I mean, I, I, I have close friends um, whose, whose mothers said that if Obama became president, the world was going to end because he, he would be the sign of the devil and they couldn't vote for him in South Florida. And, you know, this is the, the it, will, it will be the end. It will be the end of all times. President. <laughs> I still, it's still ignorance, but that's not somebody who's 
a governor of a state. Correct. Right? Correct. I'm just saying, but they, but the fact that he can say that puts in the mind of the uh, the constituents that are all in Florida, like, yeah, Cold War, we gotta stop this. They can't Listen, do anything about it, but we gotta stop this. <laughs> He's trying to run the same campaign that 45 ran. Yeah. yeah. Trying to get all the people from you know, yeah, that that, that have that have a different more. agenda yeah. to, to come out and do that thing. We ain't gonna spend too much time talking about them folks because we're not they, well, they, actually we are because we're about to pivot to that right now. Well, so <laughs> but, but my, my next topic was absolutely and Brett, you talked about population control, and that was one of the reasons that was given for the shooting. So we had several shootings over the, you know, by the time this comes out, it'll be two weekends ago. Um, but we had several shootings, but the one I really want to talk about is the one in Buffalo where what seems to be a regular thing is targeting um, for me, what looks like our, our elderly, mm. our young you never really see where it's, you know, in these mass shootings of, of black people um, where it's a group of able bodied that you're not sure if they have a counter for what you're oh, doing. Wow. Uh, but I wanted to talk about that a little bit and, and I'll put my, my, my frustration out there. Um, there's a couple things. One is the fact that this 18 year old goes and does this in a grocery store, drives two hours to get there. Um, they're talking about his mental state. I'm sorry, but you, 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 you strategized, you made a plan. You went there with intent. Yes. You live, um, you live streamed everything that was going on. You were totally you live streamed everything that was going on in that. Instance. You, you walked by a white male that you drew your gun on and said, Oh, sorry. And kept going. Whoa. Um, there's there's a lot of things that are infuriating, but I don't know if you guys are like me. At first, when I heard about it, I was numb, just like, here's yeah. another one. And then it got to the point of, wait a minute, I'm seeing this dude get arrested. He looks so calm, so still well put together. Not it didn't look like he got punched, hit, spit on, nothing. The the officers, as they should be, look so gentle. But I'm just thinking if it was a black male that went into a predominantly white place and oh. shot up some people, oh. would that person have even walked out? No. No. There wouldn't have been an option. You would have heard about shooters, shooters have been killed. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yes. Before and, the story and, probably hit the news, if it was able to they would he would have been down he would have been down so i just want to know what do we need to do right like like ain't no sense in breaking down the whole thing because this is like i told somebody today i said look my grandma was waiting for somebody to get this right and now i'm in the situation where i'm just hoping that it's right for my son uh at some point in his adulthood right yeah. So think about how many generations we just went. We just went four generations mm -hmm. of people waiting. So at what point and what do we have to do to stop these type of things from happening, to make people second guess? So I'm going to go back to a cop. Two, two things I want to say real quick. The first thing is that um, conversation we had 
beginning of COVID, I think it was, when we talked about every black person needs to go get their CCW, be trained, be trained properly, and start buying buying guns and ammunition. Mm. And that would be a wake up call for everybody else. I'm not saying I believe that's gonna solve it, but that's gonna put attention on folks like, hey, what's going on now? Like you said, what was that instant? The and this dude came. You forgot the fact that he came fully armored. Like right. he had an armor. Right. He got shot. And the bullets did nothing because he had a full body armor. Oh wow! Oh, I didn't even know he got shot. Yeah, the, 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 there was an off duty cop who was who was a retired cop. Excuse me. Um, God bless his soul. He, he passed away. He got shot and killed too. Was on duty, shot this man, and bullets did nothing because he had full body armor on. You can tell me he he mental mentality mental state. Man, get the hell out of here. This my brains went fifty million places. I'm sorry, y'all. Oh, it's, 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 it's a lot to unpack. And again, that's not the, the thing, but the overall is what's going to, what needs to happen. Like there needs to be a fear that wherever I go, there may be a black person carrying. I don't know what's going to happen to me. This needs to stop. But that may trigger somebody once an all out war, which, you know, at um there in Atlanta, um, at Stone Mountain, that's mm-hmm. really what it almost came to. I think it was around the beginning of COVID too. I remember us talking yeah, about yeah, yeah. here. Yep. Uh-huh. So yep. it's like you damned if you do, you damned if you don't. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And my only thing about that is look, we tried that. Right? We tried that with the Black Panther Party, mm-hmm. where we were gonna patrol our neighborhoods and make sure that you know nobody could come in and 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 that was recognized as a as a threat very quickly, and <laughs> everybody's seen the movies and everybody's read the stories. Quickly dismantled and and, and infiltrated. Um, but you are right. I think it is going to take to where just the average black person, not a group, not an organized effort, mm-hmm. but there needs to be a drastic increase in the average black person going out, getting a license to carry, depending on your state mm-hmm. or in Georgia, you don't even need a license to carry. Now you can carry, you know, even without, without a concealed weapon license. Hey, here in Florida, it may be the case in the next, next few months anyway, next legislature, maybe. Um, But you are absolutely right. And, and unfortunately, you have to wonder, and when you look at it, like, 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 let's look at the major ones that have happened over history, right? Um, so this was a grocery store, mostly elderly people. If you take the average of the ages of the people that were killed this time, it's got to be at least 60 something. Right. Right. Um, what was the last one with the church? The Charleston. Mother Emanuel in Charleston. Yep. In Charleston, right? Um, there's some other historical data about that church, but we're not going to get into that right now. Um, then you look at, okay, um, church bombing, I mean, or, 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 you know, the, the four little girls, right. And everybody knows about. Mm -hmm. So at some point, I think we have to abandon some very old, 
principles and beliefs about guns and arming ourselves and being prepared. Um, and even and I, somebody going to be mad. That's okay. Send that's your comment. Okay. Send your comment. You can't just say we're going to pray about it and we're going to be all right. Nah, done. That's, 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 long that's long. not going to, no, that's not going to do it. That's not the answer. Like, that's not the solo answer. Let me put it that way. I, right. I do believe prayer is part of it, but that's not the solo you answer. You need to pray. You have to right. be prepared. You have to be prepared yeah. for whatever may come your way. And that's maybe protecting your family. Prepare, then pray. Uh, on prepare, that, I still want to pray. pray. I'm going I'm to I'm pray on the bullets. Right. <laughs> <laughs> only, yeah, only only one person was under 50. Yeah. In this, in this shooting. Only one person was under, at 32 years old. Everybody else was 52 was the next lowest youngest age. Mm hmm. So, you know, it's one of those things, man. And then, you know, for, I don't know for those of you, you know, obviously, Chris, you got your own law firm, but in the rest of you, your places of employment, like to watch them try to figure out do we make a statement on this? Do we not make a statement on this? And my job didn't even think about saying anything about that. Yeah, that's done, man. Like that, that was a George Floyd sort of situation. And everybody got their statements out because mm -hmm. it was a trendy thing to do. But they're off of it now. Like they, it, it, there's no need, you know, because the PR is just not necessary. Like everybody's already said, we support Black people. We have diversity and inclusion. You see all these new chiefs of diversity and equity and inclusion <laughs> in every single corporation in America. And that's all well and good, man. But like, like what, what does the chief of diversity and equity and inclusion say to this young man who was walking the streets to shoot people in a, a grocery store? Yeah. Like we, we do have issues that need to be addressed in corporate America, but like that, that joint's not like life and death where people are shooting us. So I, I honestly, like it, this is what I say to my class, like the class that I teach at University of Miami, um, it deals with hate crimes. So this particular subject area is exactly what we talk about. And I asked the students, like, what do you guys think is a solution for this type of issue? Um, and I get a variety of answers. And then I offer what my opinion is. And honestly, it, it's an answer that I believe is the right answer. Um, but I don't know if it's actually achievable, which is Brown versus Board of Education, I think is the answer. Brown versus Board of Education was about integrating public schools and creating a, a sort of equilibrium in education and also exposing the different races and cultures to each other such that there would be an understanding and a lack of fear, a lack, lack of hatred and more tolerance. So what I found is that I got, I got two little girls myself, right? And they're black girls, you know? Um, and they're like clearly black. They're not like ambiguous, racially ambiguous. So, um, when they play with other little kids, like other little kids see that they're black, like the whitest of kids, Latino kids. But when they're out there on that playground, man, nobody cares. Nope. Like they, none of them care that this person's black. Nobody cares that this person's white. It doesn't even come up because that's not how they are originally programmed to think. This thinking that, th that caused this young man to do this horrific thing was something that he was taught. Yes. He learned this from somebody. He didn't have the type of exposure that would cause him to love black persons the way that he loved a white person. Mm -hmm. So I think the, the whole logic behind Brown is getting kids together, understanding, seeing and having empathy for the other people in different groups is what is necessary because no legislation that we make, no amount of guns that we buy is gonna, is gonna solve a, a, a crazed 
hating white person from shooting up anything. That's not gonna, we can maybe, you know, neutralize the threat, but during that whole process, the, the root of the problem is the same. So I think BJ's solution is one that's necessary, but it doesn't get to the root of the problem, which is an indoctrinization of hatred that is based upon fear, misunderstanding of one's place in society and it's an entitlement that exists, um, nationalism, and, you know, there's just all of these things that have to be untaught. And what was, happen was happening in Florida is the opposite. They're, they're stoking racism. They're trying to teach indoctrinization. They're trying to teach white supremacy. We're going in the wrong direction, man. And so, I, I, unfortunately, that's the best answer that I can come up with because I think that the way you think and how you see the world impacts the decisions that you make and how you interact with people. And that starts at the, the youngest age. So there's a couple of things you said there. Um, you are absolutely right. For the most part, kids don't care. Um, it is something that's being taught. And I do think you're, you're right. Uh, what BJ and I talked about is, is, is one part of it. But I think we've been waiting so long on the other piece as far as like educating and getting over that fear, because I think at the end of the day, that's what it is. It's fear, fear that we're not going to exist as a race, fear that we're no longer going to be the majority. And it just, you're right. Florida's doing something in reverse, right? And most people would say, oh, what are you guys talking about? That's not, they're not teaching white supremacy. Well, here's the thing. When you remove every other educational piece about other races and people, then you are promoting white supremacy because that's all that's left. Yeah. And that's what's been being taught majority of the time for the historical basis of this country is that mainstream, right? And if you don't start interjecting everybody else that has helped build this country and make it what it is, then you're trying to preserve something else. Perfectly stated. Yeah. Point blank, yeah. period. Go ahead, Brett. Yeah, man, y'all guys hit on a lot of stuff that I was going to bring up. It's only a couple of things that I had to add. Um, but Chris, I'm going to put you on the spot for a second as the legal expert in mind. Um, but first, in your intro or Carol's eloquent intro, um, they, he talked about, were you, have you uh, litigated on both sides of the civil rights, um, I guess, struggle? Because he said you, you, you had civil rights uh, with um, corporate companies. Yeah, so two different things. So when I was doing civil rights work, at first, I was with the Department of Justice prosecuting criminal civil rights violations. So prosecuting police officers who okay. beat people up, prosecuting hate crime guys like this dude um, who just shot up the grocery store. Okay. And then when I did corporate work, it had nothing to do with civil rights. I was just representing companies and business disputes. Okay. All right. Glad we got that situated. Um, so I am of the opinion uh, that, as you stated, Chris, this mindset is bred. So I don't really know that it's going to be able to just be dissected out of society. I think over time, as people become more inclusive and the world continues to mature, we'll get there maybe a thousand years from now or so on. Uh, but it's bred. And like with this individual who was, you know, calmly and, um, you know, 
he was carried off to his, you know, car to jail and he's going to go to jail and be in some sort of protective custody. He's not going to be in general population where he should probably be beaten every day for the rest of his time. He's going to be probably surrounded by others who think mm -hmm. just like him. So there, you know, there's protection in that. So he's looking like, yeah, I mean, I did what I said I was going to do. Now I'm just going to, you know, live out the rest of my days and, and enjoy. My mission is complete. I think we as a people, I think two things need to happen. I think we should be suing the government for all of the atrocities that have happened to, uh, to Black people, minorities, but specifically Black people over the last 400 or so years. I think there is enough evidence there to bring a case towards the government for all of these things in lieu of reparations. I don't think reparations come as a monetary thing, I think it comes in the form of land and opportunity to create our own communities. That way we can then enforce, protect our own communities. I think we have communities and civilizations kind of built around. And I know, you know, Carol is probably going to jump to you. You know, we've had communities, they burned them down and things of that nature, um, which has absolutely happened in the past. But I think until we have that infrastructure set up, where and it can be inclusive but it should be majority for us because nobody else is targeted like this nobody else we don't look and see on the news a mass shooting of white folks on a regular basis we don't look and see on the news you know some black male harassed and shot dead by cops on a regular basis and i think having our own land, our own space, our own communities, and the ability to police our own communities and protect our own communities in the larger sense of being within, you know, the federal regulations, state regulations, whatever they are, is the ticket. Um, and until we achieve that, we, we're forced to, to integrate into a situation that isn't really for us. So we have to deal with the things that we deal with on a daily basis. This, wow. go, go ahead, BJ. That, does that justify going back to the statehood, you make your decisions, this is the black states, this is the white states? No, nah, because this, I feel like the I feel like the federal government plays a hand and what these states should be allowed to do. I don't feel like it should be a 50-50 thing. I think there should be a, like in the case of Roe v. Wade, I feel like there should be, there is a compromise in this thing somewhere, right? Whether the viability is six, well, I don't think six is fair, whether it's like 10, 12, maybe 14, but there's a compromise in this thing somewhere and women should be able to have some choice in whatever their situation is. I think some of these laws that are on the books to set to set to go into um you know enactment as soon as roe v wade is overturned they don't offer any protection for some women in certain cases so that that just to me doesn't make any sense um so the federal government has a duty to regulate these situations to make it fair across the board so i think the federal government can still have some form of regulation amongst these communities. I think as long as we're following open carry laws or whatever the gun laws of the state or federal government is, we should be fine and left alone to pursue happiness as we're afforded in the constitution. Unfortunately, the legal system um, 
no offense, doesn't always afford that to us. The government doesn't always afford that to us. So we're left to play the game the best way we know how and just be a part of the system instead of having our own system or actually having the system function to our benefit, not just the benefit of the majority or some. Chris, is that possible to do? Can, can at some, is there a inkling because I understand that law is about finding the smallest opportunity and then blowing that up to the next level. Is there an opportunity there? Just off of the knowledge you discussed by Brett saying to hold the federal government liable for the... Oh, okay. Um, yes, there is. I mean, it's happened before, right? There have been other groups who have sued the federal government and obtained uh, compensation for their losses. And there just has to be a theory, a viable theory um, brought forward. And I guess a receptive judge or judges who will uh, entertain the cause of action. The, the difficulty with it is that black people are in such large numbers that it will be hard to administer whatever the relief would be. And so there will be a reluctance to issue some form of a 40 acres and a mule type relief that would then be overly burdensome because there are millions of black people in America and just figuring out who is black in the first place is, is hard in the first step, right? Because what does it mean to be black? Um, All of a sudden, a lot of that, people have been saying they aren't, they will be. Oh, one of you. They so, will be, right? Pause yeah. that right there because um, this ties back to two episodes of Atlanta right now, where we are at this very moment. First season or second season? Current season, current. Current season. I'm all, I'm all missed. I'm, I'm late. So Liam Neeson's, <laughs> Liam Neeson's scene about what he said about going and shooting somebody black, Buffalo. And then the last episode I just saw is about being black. And are you black enough? Both of these things, yeah. it's interesting that this is written, this is written months ago, months, and produced and edited and all these things, and it's happening now. I don't know what Danny Glover, Donald Glover does at his side time, but this man no. can, can see the future every time it happens. I mean, I mean, that's a whole different podcast that could last for days about what yes. it means to be black. And, and right. I, I, in my class, again, again, it's a fundamental question because like I put up on the board in class, I draw like a line and I put white and I put black. And I said, okay, I want you guys to help me identify like all the white presidents of the United States and all the black presidents of the United States. And we'll go through it, go through it. And then you know how to end up. It'll have Obama over here with black and mm -hmm. it'll have everybody else over here with white. And my question is, well, how come Obama's only over here on the black side? How come he's not also white? Yep. Right. Like, what is it, what is it that about him that divests his ability to be white? Right. <laughs> and so we 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 have weaponized the idea of of being white and and made it so pure and unadulterated that even if you are half of that, you can't be that because yeah. you are also black. Mm -hmm. Right. So that's a fundamental premise that makes America what it is. It's built on that, man. Like, it's built on the ability to have access to land, to resources, to yeah. the vote based purely.
purely on you having the white, the white, the pure white existence, the existential reality of whiteness. Thank God I'm white because, man, like I got it made. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And Ken, you mentioned something earlier and I, I, I jotted it down, but we kind of moved quickly past it. But the average high school graduate in the U.S., this is from John Stewart's uh, show on Apple TV, the average um, white, no, average high school graduate that's white makes six times the amount of money that the average college graduate is black does. Mm. Like statistically shown, it's like that is that is that is where it is. So you you come out the gate like already like if you were in high school, you are way wealthier than some people who are in college, like trying to get out of college for it. And so it's you talk about earning or talk about total wealth? Wealth. I think it's, wealth. So just wealth. Yeah. Okay. So passed down generate generational just wealth. Okay. okay. Yeah. Wow. All right. We're look, way behind, we, man. Yeah. Way behind. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And, 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 and I want to end on this question. So we talked about supremacy being taught. Mm-hmm. What is it that we need to be teaching our children in order to counter this narrative, to equip them to be in a space to be, I don't know, impervious? The truth. It's the truth, but it's like it's it's tough because you want to you want to say the truth, and that makes complete sense. But then if you're like, well, you want to be like the militant. Here's your history. Here's where you stand for it. Then you go out on the street, and immediately, it's like radical, completely radical, and they can't be a part of the process. So, you so teach we we got to teach them how to how to be a part of the community and not. It's just like the talk they got. You got to have with them about you know you're. It's going to happen to me soon because my boys are ginormous. And they're big, so I know it's going to happen soon. But like that talk, I don't want to have. I want to have to have it with him. That's that's survival. I'm talking about what you understand about yourself, your history, and your place in the society based on your ancestors. Got it. Okay. So survival, <laughs> yes. Like those talks have to happen. Like just because of somebody walking to the grocery store and know your surrounding, know what's going on. Yeah. Like, Unfortunately, yeah. that has to happen. And nowadays it has to happen at an early age because even though kids don't care, other kids' parents and family members are having conversations with them a lot earlier. Yeah. So, yeah, at three years or four years old, somebody in the playground, oh, he's black, he's Hispanic, she's white. Don't like those conversations are happening amongst kids now because they hear it or they somebody's being told to them. But when I say the truth, I mean the truth about like challenge stuff our education system is messed up so when they go to class and the teacher says something quite respectfully question what's being said because you've been taught something else. you've already heard something else like even when um i know for your boys that i for christmas was it christmas i got the books yes uh, with, with mm-hmm. the 1619 project whatever because when yes. i and then they had the kids version um in the water not in the water no, it, it, oh man, I have it there. I, I had to, I read it to them and I had to pull back. So I was like, this might be too much for a four year old to understand. Not in a bad way, but I broke down certain sections of the book for them. But when I, when I saw that book, I like, I want those three in particular to have this because I know, I know where they're at educationally, mentally, because mm-hmm. I've heard them and seen them. Yeah. But I don't want them to go into a situation knowing that our education system is screwed up. 
right you fed lies always question everything you can question anything and if you're being stopped from questioning that's a that's a problem with the system that goes with the white supremacy culture again another podcast another topic yeah but if they if they can understand lies being told for them and start questioning stuff at an early age that's when we start having real conversations with the, with people and then you you grow the pot yes you may pull back for now but eventually the rest of that book needs to be talked about mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, and I'm sorry, I'll be the first one to say, and I and I tell my kids to do it respectfully, but push back. If your teacher says something in class and you don't believe it or it's not what we talk, ask the question. Don't just sit there and take it. That's yeah. fair. Brett, you and, if, and if somebody has said something, please let me know and I'll be able to, I'll be right there. Don't worry about it. I got you. I was just gonna say I, I disagree with art. And I agree. No, I'm just playing. I do agree with BJ um, when it comes to the the truth aspect. I think um, you got to teach your kids who they are. You know, they got to know who they are and not just, you know, history starting from 1600 or 1865 or 1930, 40, 50, 60, 70, 80 like who they are, where they come from, heritage and culture, ethnicity, like all of those things that really matter and build the person up. I think when you're grounded in those roots and spirituality, you give your kids the confidence to go forward and be great and be massive. That's what we do in in my household. You know, everybody knows their name and understands it and why they have it. Like it's, it's a purpose behind everything. And when you can stand behind your name, you know, you, you have that confidence. So yeah, you gotta, we gotta teach them about survival art. They have to know that. Yes, no, no, and, and yes, they totally will. Um, yeah, totally will, I'm just not, I feel like they gotta know, but I'm wondering, my, my top question is when? When do I start? Yeah, I mean. Teaching history, they, the problem is that, not the problem, but the good thing about them is that they have Nigerian history. They can go right. home. And say, right. I know where I'm from. This is where my this is where my grandfather was born. This is his house. This is his land. For one half, it's there. To one half, they have everything. Other half, they have nothing. <laughs> so, like my grandma, that's, grandma, a, that's my a black talk about anything. She will. But she even, but even for some of us who don't know or have explicit ties back to the motherland, like we still got to understand, we are beings of God, regardless. Yes. Like, yeah. so there's a certain like power that comes with that. And when that's instilled at an early age and cultivated and nurtured, you watch that flower blossom. And I think like, that's where I was trying to get to with BJ when he, you know, he's talking about the truth. That's the truth. Um, and there's no running from it. There's no fear in it. And when we indoctrinate our kids into that early, um, you know, they, they have the tools to go forward and, and be greater. No, that's, that's, that's fair. Whole, no. whole, whole nother podcast. Um, no, we got I, so many things to pull out of this podcast. It's this crazy. Is, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. You got to come back to clearly you, that you sparked some, uh, you sparked a fire. Hey, <laughs> hey listen, man, I, I'll come back anytime you guys are having me. I, I loved it. I enjoyed it being with you guys today. Yeah, absolutely, man. We enjoyed having you and, yeah. um, you know, I, Where's your wife from, man? You were saying that you, you share the same situation with, with art. Yeah, she's um, Nigerian. 
Okay. So okay. My my kids have been back to their um, the land that their grandparents own in Nigeria that my my wife's family lived on. You know, when way back. So it's it, for me as a um, American descendant of slaves. It was really um, touching for me to be able to see like my kids experience something I never will be able to experience. Yes. Because the furthest I can go back, and I'm lucky enough to know like where my family was enslaved because after emancipation, my ancestors got some of the land oh, that they wow. were slaves on. And we still have it in our family. So sure. that, that in and of itself is a connection point that many people don't have, but it's nowhere near like my, my wife and family have never been a slave, man. Like they, they've never been owned by anybody as far as they know. And so, like, it's just like, it's in a different level of empowerment mm-hmm. yes. to be able to go back and be like, this is where, where you, our family is from, yeah. this is the land that y'all own, yeah. and to be like, this is who you are. Um, and that's why, you know, in the, in the Black culture, you know, as descendants as of slaves, we created those things through Kwanzaa, through our, the way we wear our clothes, our culture. And the thing is, man, it's so interrelated. Like when you go back there, you can just see us. Yeah. Like we are, we are the same people, man. Um, we've just been removed involuntarily from our culture. But, but the, the whole point of it is that I'm really grateful for the fact that my kids have that more natural and easy connection to their culture and to their heritage. Um, but I still have to create it on my side of things because I'm part of them too. Right. And so I got to help them understand this side of their culture. Like we come from a rich and powerful heritage as well. And the thing about it is, man, the whole world wants to be like us. Yes. Like we set the culture, man. Like this part of you is the part everybody wants to be like. This is the part everybody wants to be like. This is the part that everybody emulates. This is the part. There's something special about us, man. And it's not to say in a way that we are denigrating anybody else. We're not looking down on anybody else. We're just recognizing the greatness within us yes. because there's so many powers in the world that want you to not see it. Yeah. So mm-hmm. let me just show it to you. Let me just hold up the mirror and be like, look at this yeah. dope creature that everybody wants to be like. Never forget yeah. that. So we're going to close this thing out, but um, there's an overall piece that I think as black people, we have to get to one day. And that piece is realizing that for those of us that have Nigerian ties or or Western African ties, when we go back, the sad truth is somebody over there is a descendant of somebody that either sold us out or sold us. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. That's a piece too that I think until we deal with that, the ability to heal as a people and be one and be powerful um, is going to remain distant. But anyway, that's another podcast, another show. Um, Who knows who will get on here to come talk about that. But um, I tell Nigerians all the time they owe me money. But um, (laughs) especially since my 23 me says that that's where I originate from. But anyway, Chris, a pleasure having you, man. Great conversation definitely, today. Man. Thank you so much. Uh, we will definitely have you back. Um, how can the people? How can the people get in touch with you, man? Yes. yes. Oh man, just just check me out, man. LomaxLegal.com. Go to the website. It's very easy. 
Um, I'm on Instagram. I'm on Facebook. Just check out Lomax Legal. I'm on social media, C Lomax, C-E-E-L-O-M-A-X, on Instagram or Lomax Legal. Um, and you'll find me. I'm findable. And um, we don't want people to think that they exclusively specialize in civil rights issues. Uh, they are a multi uh, lane practice that, you know, they, they, they do a lot. So definitely lomaxlegal.com. Gina, Gina knows if, if she ever get a call down like this way, you the first person on speed dial. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's been, that's I'm, been I'm stated. For it, man. I'm, listen, <laughs> I'm, man, I'm listen. So it. I, I want to let you know something, man. We have a track record on this podcast. Everybody that is a guest on this podcast blows up to the next level shortly thereafter. So we, we need you to sign something saying that once that happens to you, you will still right. you will still be accessible to us and we right. can still contact oh. you. Yo, come on, man. Y- y'all have known me since bro, before any of this. I was 18 when, when y'all met me. So and then this man BJ, I owe more than most people in the world. So y'all know how to he can get me anytime and he, and he called me at two o'clock a.m. Just like he did in 2003 in the fall, I'm happy to answer. Nice. Um, Ain't going to talk about that. Yeah, we're not going to talk about that. <laughs> All right, ladies and gentlemen, we appreciate you. We're we going to see, man. I want to I wanna release this as a whole episode. We're going to see if, if Art lets me do it. But uh, Let it run. Let it run. Awesome. Awesome. All right, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for joining us here on the 13th floor where the furniture isn't always the best, but the views are amazing. And leave your comments, leave all that good stuff. And Asher, tell them what time it is. Uh, that's it for now, folks. There it is, ladies and gentlemen. We're done here on the 13th floor where the furniture isn't always the best, but the views are amazing. amazing.